0: Thank you. Welcome back to Rounding the News, your weekly news roundup presented by Rounding the Earth. My name is Liam Sturgis and I will be your host for today's show. Just to give you a brief overview of what we're going to get into today, lockdowns continue to be blamed for the rise in health problems while more incidents of missing paramedics and ambulances continue to rise. Item number two, we're going to revisit the underreported nature of the Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca shots and why they remain not such a good idea. It's not just the mRNA shots causing us some problems. Third, we're going to briefly mention that VARES has published the lowest number of new adverse events since the COVID-19 vaccine rollout began. We're going to also mention how Anthony Fauci has indeed announced his retirement and what that might mean. Also, the fact that Donald Trump's White House is being blamed for pressuring the FDA to grant emergency use authorizations for the COVID-19 vaccine products. Interesting. And a quick update on Brooke Jackson's key Tam. False Claims Act case against Pfizer and the FDA and Ventavia. A new brief has been filed in response to a motion to dismiss. And our main story, Baudin versus Baker. A lawsuit has been filed against the government of Massachusetts. So let's jump right in, ladies and gentlemen. Our first story, okay. Lockdowns continue to be blamed for rising health problems beginning... Today's show with a follow-up from last week's stories, lockdown measures are continuing to be blamed for the widespread rise in overall health problems in the Western world. At the same time, those much maligned vocal dissidents who were the target of such ire for their opposition to lockdown measures are beginning to receive some well-deserved, if largely useless at this point, vindication in the mainstream media as you see here robert taylor wrote an op-ed in the telegram or sorry the telegraph published yesterday headline bravo to the lockdown skeptics who were smeared and dismissed for daring to defend freedom yes one of the most senior members of government during that whole lockdown business has finally admitted that the strategy was overdone badly handled and poorly communicated the brave few that kept the flag for personal freedom alive That really is no exaggeration, and they paid heavily for it. On social media, the abuse was intense. You don't care about lives, they snarled. You're murderers, they claimed. And in the mainstream, things weren't much better. You're a small, disproportionately influential faction, moaned a Guardian leader that denies the virulence of the virus. Thanks for that. Yes, it was lonely, but now the man who was responsible for running the nation's finances belatedly tells us that we were not alone. He now tells us it was wrong to empower scientists to such a degree. Wrong to allow such sway over policy. Wrong not to consider the long-term impact of lockdowns on people's health and well-being. Wrong not to discuss the inevitable huge delays to cancer, heart disease, and diabetes diagnoses. Wrong to close schools and wrong to instill such fear. Now, those were just excerpts from the opinion piece, which you can read. At the Telegraph link to which will be provided in the notes after the show is complete. But it's not just that. As ambulances and paramedics are nowhere to be found. Unfortunately, the problems aren't over caused by the lockdowns. No, no, no. We're currently in the thick of it. As I discussed last week, there are more and more cases showing up in the news of emergency patients waiting hours for ambulances if they arrive at all. This trend continued into this week. I might begin summarizing these weekly to help illustrate the rapid descent in North American healthcare systems so we can begin to truly respond with solutions. This first article, ambulances are stacking up at Thunder Bay's hospital. From TB Newswatch, hospital president and CEO Rhonda Crocker Ellicott said that since February, TBRHSC, the hospital system, has seen a nearly 100% increase in the number of patients arriving by ambulance. She said ambulance visits have risen from a typical 50 to 60 daily to as many as 100. Our next article from The Toronto Star rushed to hospital, stuck in an ambulance. Why it's taking longer to hand off patients to hospitals in Ontario. Okay, quote, as ambulances confront hours-long waits in crowded ERs, newly released data shows offload times have nearly doubled in three years. Now note, there's a graphic they provide here. We're going to zoom in a bit. Note in the graph that while the wait times were flat, and decreasing in some areas, even in 2020. They began quickly and steadily rising in 2021, the year of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout, as well as the mass layoffs and firing of unvaccinated workers across the healthcare system, and beyond, of course. This carried into 2022, and this is what we're seeing in the real world. From CTV News, Montreal, patients forced to wait inside ambulances outside overcrowded Montreal Area Hospital. Overcrowding in an emergency room on Montreal's South Shore has reached a new level as patients are being forced to wait in ambulances, sometimes for hours, because there's no room inside. And while the ambulances wait lined up outside the Anna-LaBerge Hospital, the ER calls aren't being answered either. The union representing healthcare workers at the hospital is concerned and blames more admissions to the ER and fewer staff members over the summer. I'm sure they were all on vacation, right? In a statement, the regional health board said a worker shortage and cases of COVID-19 are slowing down their operations. Hmm. Yes, indeed. Across Canada, this is taking place. Jumping over to the far western province. From Houston Today, emergency rooms close in British Columbia, paramedics union says ambulances understaffed. From the Canadian Press via Houston Today, quote, Nicola Valley Hospital in Merritt, B.C. is the latest emergency room in the province to shut its doors due to lack of staff, joining a series of similar interruptions in service in British Columbia's interior. Services were also unavailable at the South Okanagan General hospital emergency department in oliver british columbia where i have family by the way beautiful wine country a lot of older folks anyway for about 24 hours this weekend though it has since reopened the closure has come as the ambulance paramedics of bc released a statement criticizing the understaffing of ambulances saying vehicles in maple ridge the fraser valley and the metro vancouver have sat idle this weekend Union President Troy Clifford says in a statement that this weekend has showcased a province-wide trend of ambulances sitting empty that, quote, seems to have no end. My point in showing you this many Canadian cases back-to-back, these varied stories from across the country, is to show it's not just province-wide. It's country-wide. It's also not just Canada, though, obviously. From WKBT News 8000. First responders sound the alarm. Rural communities in Wisconsin face EMS, emergency medical services, shortage. Quote, nationwide, rural EMS agencies are struggling to fill positions. I emphasize, nationwide. Over 90% of the rural EMS agencies agencies are struggling with the shortages of personnel said Chris Eberlein the director of Gunderson tri-state ambulance what used to be a pool of five to ten applicants has dwindled down to one or two leaving current staff members working longer hours I wonder what their current policies are on the COVID-19 vaccine but regardless it's no single cause there's a number of compounding issues that we're watching play out but just note how it's the same story occurring in jurisdictions in across uh, across the entire continent of North America. Oh, OK. And then Johnson County Med Act to scale back operations due to staff shortages from Fox Four, Kansas City WDAF TV. Quote, Johnson County Med Act will scale back some of its operations due to staffing shortages. Davis said, while it's difficult to pinpoint what is causing staff shortages, the pandemic has put a major strain on many healthcare professionals. You don't say. Add on to that the ongoing supply chain crisis and you wind up with a literal shortage of functioning ambulances from EMS One Stop. When the chips are down, ambulances, sorry, ambulance chassis availability now at crisis levels. Oh, boy. I quote. Ambulance chassis and chip supply issues have dramatically impacted ambulance costs and delivery times. Before the pandemic, lead times for new ambulances range from 90 to 120 days from order to delivery. At this time, the wait is now 24 months and longer. A further effect of the disrupted production has seen furloughs and layoffs of skilled staff at ambulance factories. This reduction and loss of staff could further jeopardize an eventual return to normal production levels as reinstating or recruiting and retraining staff could further add to the woes. It's almost as if everyone's getting fired. This year, lack, of, I just want to point out all this funding that's going into various COVID measures. Why would not, why would, why would this not be a priority? You know, if, okay. This year, lack of ambulances and crews could add to the depth of such emergencies. Pointing to Secretary Buttigieg's own departmental initiative to reduce roadway fatalities with enhanced level of post crash care, the latter's authors, or sorry, the letters authors note the availability of ambulances is a critical element of post crash care. The safety of the patients and of the first responders and action must be taken immediately. Now, I just want to briefly share an anecdote, and I did try to find coverage on this, but I couldn't find any. Interestingly. Here, it, where I live in Vancouver, the greater Vancouver area, I live uh, just across on, on one side of a bridge uh, called the Lionsgate Bridge. And yesterday, there was an accident that happened partway through, uh, about halfway across the bridge, and it wound up shutting down one of the three lanes. And whenever that happens for any reason at all, it affects the entire Metro uh, Vancouver area's traffic for hours. Usually though, they're able to clear a lane so that an ambulance can come through. Cause the first thing they have to do is tend to the uh, individuals who have been in the crash and then take them off for proper care if required, or at a minimum clear them uh, so that they can just go um, if there's no police to come. But yesterday it turns out there were no ambulances to send. So for, I think two hours, they sat on the middle of the mo- one, of one of, if not the most important bridge in the area, sitting, waiting, because there were no ambulances to come. So that is, in my real life, uh, and somehow not on the news, something um, that I have now experienced that is uh, I, an exact example of this. Because it's quite literally what this article is saying. It's saying if you care about post, you know, motor vehicle accident care, that is what ambulances need to be there for. That's 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 their job here. Okay. so anyway, that's interesting. But now we're going to move on for now. Like I say, I may continue to summarize these as I come across them, but we're now going to move into revisiting Janssen and AstraZeneca. I wanted to share an excellent article published on the very official news substack. On the topic of the adenovirus vector COVID-19 vaccine products, Mike, the author, well, let me just click through here. Here we go. Mike, the author, does a great job of summarizing how the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention lied about the nature of the Janssen product, commonly referred to as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, in order to increase uptake. AstraZeneca as well, except it wasn't distributed in the States so much. We have it up here in Canada. Anyway, from the article, quote, while recent attention has been brought to the memory holding of claims made about the uh, mRNA platform, a vastly more brazen falsehood was peddled by the CDC about the viral vector vaccines, e.g. Johnson & Johnson. The CDC falsely assured the American public that the adenoviral vector vaccines— Domestically, Johnson & Johnson did not insert genetic material into cellular nuclei during the eight-month period during which the majority of recipients were given the shots. This was known to be fake the entire time and, in fact, is the obligate mechanism of the drug. Read the full article on veryofficialnews.substack.com and thank you to Mike for his excellent work. A quick update now over to our weekly VARES summary. Welcome to Eagle 88. He- uh, the headline I have written down here, VARES publishes lowest number of new reports since the beginning of the COVID-19 jab rollout. Resident VARES auditor, Albert Benavides revealed one week ago that the CDC set a new record by publishing the smallest amount of new adverse event reports in a given week since the beginning of the COVID-19 vaccine campaign. The Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS, is updated once weekly on Fridays. Publishing reports submitted by healthcare practitioners, the pharmaceutical companies themselves, or patients receiving the injections, detailing adverse events occurring after a vaccine is given. Albert, who goes by Welcome the Eagle, has been auditing the vares reports for well over a year and has identified a number of concerning patterns not just contained within the reports themselves but also in how the data is being managed and or as he says throttled here's the tweet there here's a quick look at that graph which you can find at welcome the eagle on twitter and albert's excellent vares dashboard can be found on his tableau public the link will be provided shortly after the show is done okay yes indeed it's true as if everyone else hasn't already covered this enough but anthony fauci announces his retirement yes it does appear to be true dr anthony fauci head of the national institute of allergy and infectious diseases NIAID, has announced that he will be retiring from his two positions in the United States government at the end of 2022. (sighs) I mean, in any case, it it does seem uh, he's 81 years old. It makes sense that he would wrap up his career around that age. Frankly, it's impressive he's stayed active and functional for this long. Now, reaction to his retirement has been mixed. Bill Gates uh, took to Twitter to congratulate and thank the good doctor, saying, Tony, you were an amazing public servant long before COVID-19 struck, and now you are a hero to millions of people, including me. That's very nice. It is perhaps an apt time to inform readers and listeners that Gates and Fauci do indeed go far back. Of particular importance was their collaboration on the Global Vaccine Action Plan, with Fauci playing a leading role in the effort from 2010 to 2012. This was the initiative that kicked off the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's Decade of Vaccines collaboration, conveniently spanning 2011 to 2020, just in time to roll out a certain set of genetic vaccines against a certain coronavirus that both men were clearly as surprised about as you and I were. Now, for his part, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky warned Fauci that his retirement would not prevent him from cooperating in what will ostensibly be a full-throated investigation into the origins of the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the public health crisis that followed. Now, just last month, Fauci had indicated that he planned to retire by the end of President Joe Biden's term, presumably late 2024 or early 2025, but that he may do so sooner. It's unclear whether he knew at that time that his exit would be very much sooner indeed. (laughs) Another way of asking the question is this, though. Has the level of alarm within the walls of the National Institutes of Health the CDC, and the White House finally become palpable. One of my favorite Canadian alternative news personalities is Viva Fry. And I thought he did an excellent job of exploring why things may be getting awfully uncomfortable right now for those senior officials who pushed the jab with unnatural force. Just going to pull up a little video here to share with you let's see if this works
1: that was not the one we want to get fauci announced his resignation effective december some people already thought the timing of that was curious because many people are expecting a red wave many people are expecting republicans or the gop to retake control of the house um, and the senate i think if i'm not mixing up my terms so some, so some people, people thought, thought, oh, I you know, know Fauci wants, wants to, get to get out before, before the heat comes, comes down, but that, that won't do anything. anything if got, you've got, yeah. uh, you you got, got people, you know, advance warning Fauci, Fauci keep, keep your emails, keep, keep your calendar free. free. Uh, enjoy <laughs> your retirement, but you it might be testifying. You got people, <laughs> some people, So some people are hypothesizing Fauci announcing his retirement before there's a change in control of, of the government, which might put Fauci under the political limelight. That's one way of looking then today by the way then today politico publishes this is it today what what day is it yes august 24th this morning
0: yeah i'm going to transition right out of his uh story there and into my own covering of the same story once i can stop the screen there share this screen here okay so credit to Viva Fry. Um Yeah. So here's the part two of that. <laughs> Something I've been predicting uh, or agreeing with friends such as Joe Giannotti and others who have been predicting that it's all Trump's fault as far as the COVID shots go. But w- specifically, uh, hold on. What is Trump's fault? You, may, you might ask the COVID-19 vaccines, right? Uh, hold on here. So this is from Politico. Trump White House exerted pressure on FDA for COVID-19 emergency use authorizations, House report finds. The Trump administration pressured the Food and Drug Administration, including former FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn, to authorize unproven treatments for COVID-19 and the first COVID-19 vaccines on an accelerated timeline according to a report released Wednesday by Democrats on the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis. Okay, now, to be clear, the allegation covers not just the COVID vaccine efforts, but also the discovery and dissemination of preventative medicines and treatments for COVID-19. I can't help but find this conflation to be irresponsible, though, especially given the choice of the word unproven to refer to the pharmaceutical products that have been used for decades that he was promoting but not for the quite literally unproven never before tried gene therapy vaccine products okay back to it back to it Senior Trump administration officials fought for the reauthorization of hydroxychloroquine, a drug normally used to treat malaria and lupus, after the FDA revoked its emergency clearance of the drug because data showed it was ineffective against COVID-19 and would lead to, could lead to potentially dangerous side effects, the report found. The Democrats' investigation also documents potential influence from former White House officials regarding the FDA's decision to authorize convalescent plasma, and White House attempts to to block the FDA from collecting additional safety data on COVID-19 vaccines in order to get them to the public before the 2020 presidential election. Now, if I were a fact checker, I would label this missing so much context as to essentially be a flat outline. Hydroxychloroquine was then and is now an FDA-approved medicine with decades of use in a variety of contexts. It did not require reauthorization of any kind in order to allow its use in any manner that American doctors, properly licensed, saw fit. That's called prescribing off-label, which is not some new concept developed by conspiracy theorists during the declared pandemic, to be very clear. But the real kicker is this, the bolded text in the, sub, in the written version of this, uh, which you'll see after. But that last bit indicates a recognition that the COVID-19 injections were not finished the process of collecting safety data. Or at a minimum, the Trump White House tried to prevent that last step, putting people in danger. Now, of course, as Tessalina points out in her tweet, it will be so funny if the abysmal toxicity and effective, or ineffectiveness of the magical medical product will be blamed on the Trump camp alone, and if the people who Nazi-style bullied their fellow citizens into getting the product will develop amnesia and claim they never did. Operation Warp Speed was on Trump's watch, while everything that followed was on Biden's watch. Basically, both hold equal culpability and all individuals involved in either administration need to be investigated, including Fauci. Speaking of proper investigations into things, Brooke Jackson's whistleblower case, a new brief has been filed on August 22, 2022. Whistleblower Brooke Jackson announced that her response to Pfizer slash icon slash Ventavia's motion to dismiss had been filed. For those who have not yet had a chance to hear Brooke's story uh, and the scandal underpinning it, I encourage you to check out our roundtable discussion we had with Brooke and lawyer Warner Mendenhall from two weeks ago, titled Fraud, a COVID-19 Vaccine Summary. In addition to the raw brief documents, Lead attorney Robert Barnes prepared an audio summary of the new materials that can be listened to at their locals community, viva com. That's what I like about Barnes. Not only does he entertain, he also takes the opportunity to educate his audience whenever he can. On that note, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank our sponsor for this episode, the Institute for Practical and Applied Knowledge. IPAC-EDU is part of the shift away from traditional educational institutions with courses from high-quality instructors at the top of their fields. Today, we at Rounding the Earth are featuring a course called Ecology for the Masses, Classical and Modern Concepts of Ecology with an emphasis on evolutionary dynamics. The fall program will run Mondays at 1 p.m., Eastern Standard Time, led by Bruce Stephen, PhD. Sign up for this course and any of the other wonderful courses IPAC EDU offers and receive 5% off the price of admission when you use coupon code EARTH at checkout. I think I just might. (sighs) Ah. And you can find all the ways to support Rounding the Earth on our official sponsor slash partners page by clicking the button below. I will say we've had fantastic feedback so far from our sponsors uh, with people and audience members as well saying that they are signing up, in fact, for these courses and bu- buying bottles of wine from uh, uh, from Blood of Tyrants. So thank you for doing that. Now, back to the show. To our main story for this week. Okay. Lawsuit filed against the governor of Massachusetts. Yes, indeed. On August 22nd, 2022, John Baudouin filed a lawsuit against Charles D. Baker, governor of Massachusetts, and a number of senior health officials in the United States District Court in the District of Massachusetts. This is a big one. Despite increasingly widespread understanding that the COVID-19 vaccines have been causing severe injury and death, it is very difficult to overcome the dismissal of the correlation does not equal causation mantra. And it's true. Correlation does not equal causation. In the past, however, the Precautionary principle leaned in favor of skepticism towards pharmaceutical products, with patients told to carefully monitor themselves for new health events occurring after they start a new drug. In the case of the COVID 19 vaccine products, though, it seems regulators are dead set on dismissing as many suspected cases of injury as possible in absence of damning, undeniable evidence. Well, John may have given them that. This week. Now, John Baudouin has been investigating the state of Massachusetts' response to the COVID 19 pandemic for a while now. He writes under the pseudonym Coquin de Chien on Substack, where he has published a tremendous wealth of information along his way. Quote Thus far, Coquin de Chien, or CDC, showed that 2020. Was a year of respiratory deaths, and 2021 was a year of circulatory system deaths. What happened as of January 2021 that caused so many heart attacks, brain and GI hemorrhages, strokes, clots, sudden kidney failure, and accelerated tumor growth? Got any idea? Now, on August 19, John shared a preview of the lawsuit to come, specifically the contents of Exhibit F of the filing. Continuing to quote, CDC, co specifically, showed fraud in many deaths such as fentanyl overdoses and blunt force trauma deaths being labeled as COVID-19 by Massachusetts medical examiners. Even more insidious is the absolute refusal of medical examiners to blame the C-19 vaccine as a cause of death, even when the onset of symptoms was minutes after the injection and death took a few weeks to slowly degrade a human being in pain, then coma. Than forever gone from Earth. By his account, this process has entailed thousands of hours of research, documentation, legal analysis, data forensics, first person and second person interviews, statutory legal research, and emotionally charged anecdotes of loss of family members, friends, and coworkers, which culminated in his formal filing on the 22nd. Now, Let's break down the suit. Who is being sued? So, the defendants in this case are Charles D. Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, Margaret R. Cook, Commissioner of the Department of Public Health, Mindy Hall, the chief medical examiner, Janice Y. Gravetti, Michelle N. Matthews, Robert M. Welton, and Julie Hall, medical examiners. What are they being sued for? Well, um... Specifically, they're being accused of violating the following federal laws: 18 USC 1035, false statements relating to healthcare matters, I'll just read the the names not the numbers. Fraud in connection with major disaster or emergency benefits, fraud by wire, radio, or television, detrimental reliance on false statements by third parties, civil action for deprivation of rights, conspiracy against rights, deprivation of rights under the color of law, and Equal Protections Clause under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. According to Baudouin, the defendants have intentionally manipulated death certificates in order to mask deaths, sorry, in order to mask deaths likely caused by the COVID-19 vaccines. They also attributed many deaths to COVID-19, when in reality, it was very clear that something else had killed them. In doing so, they played up the perceived danger of the COVID-19 disease while downplaying the very real risks that come with the shots. This is a very serious problem, in no small part because it has direct ramifications for the entirety of the United States and, by extension, the world. Here's why. In his filing... Bondouin describes how the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration develop their own analyses based on data provided to them by state departments of health. This is specifically done using ICD-10 codes, which are intended to capture health events using universal categories. ICD-10. There you go. Because medical records were systematically being uh, sorry, were systematically omitting ICD-10 codes that indicated cause of death related to vaccination while inappropriately adding COVID-19 to a broad range of certificates. The federal government was receiving fraudulent data that threatened the integrity of their own countrywide recommendations. Bondouin's allegations come following a long research effort to document these cases of fraudulent health records. His detailed brief, as seen on screen here, cites seven specific incidents, including Cassidy Baraka, a seven-year-old girl who died within a few days of the second dose, having reacted badly to the first and suffered agonizing pain until her death. Her death certificate simply read COVID-19. Preston Settles, a 15 year old boy who collapsed on the basketball court, suffering brain death, and then his body dying after being pulled off life support shortly after. A highly unusual event for someone of his age. Diane Dubois, a 62 year old woman who died of a brain hemorrhage following the COVID 19 vaccine. This was described in her medical records, but the ICD 10 codes. That would indicate vaccine associated death were omitted from her death certificate. Brianna McCarthy, a 30 year old woman who died of a massive stroke only days after a COVID 19 vaccination, whose death certificate was also omitted from, sorry, whose death certificate also omitted vaccine related ICD 10 codes. Eden McDonald, a 17 year old girl who died of a massive acute intracranial hemorrhage with the same ICD-10 code omissions. Uh, Heli Hodgdon, no details on her case were provided in this brief. Charles Casella, a 48-year-old man whose employer successfully forced him to take the shot in defense of his job and found dead in his bed the following morning. And finally, Solomon A. Kizito. A man who died only days after his second COVID-19 vaccination from acute bronchopneumonia and idiopathic thrombocytopenia. With his death certificate being the only one in the state of Massachusetts to include the COVID-19 vaccine as a cause of death in the ICD-10 codes tracked by the CDC. So, what is the goal of this lawsuit? It's listed here. Prayer for relief. Okay, so these are the items being asked for. One, a halt to the COVID-19 vaccination campaign in Massachusetts, pending further investigation on these grounds. Two, access to the state's full immunization records database and the resources necessary to examine them, including a room in a state facility and a proper computer with Excel to be able to go through it. Three, Access to autopsy reports and vaccination status of seven deceased children and adults, as listed above. Number four, measures taken to prevent the defendants from continuing to commit the alleged fraud. Five, correction of the death certificates that were incorrectly completed. And six, a public televised and otherwise distributed announcement from the defendants that fraud was committed the and that the true threat from covid 19 was misrepresented as was the true rate of death caused by the covid19 genetic vaccine products now as john explains in his article announcing the filing it is likely that the state will move to dismiss the suit on grounds of standing this means if i understand correctly that, the government will claim he has no legal li- uh, legal ability to sue because John is not directly involved or affected by the alleged actions. This is a deeply flawed argument based on a highly problematic Supreme Court precedent from just after the 9-11 attacks, which is now widely misapplied to deprive Americans the right to sue their government for infringing their rights. In John's words, quote, Thousands of Americans have lost cases on this procedural basis before ever being heard on a substantive basis. However, John is confident that he is in the right on this one, despite the procedural traps set to trip him up. Quote, in Baudouin v. Baker 2.0, standing is based on Baudouin having been unenrolled from law school because of his refusal to vaccinate for COVID-19. Baudouin's standing is based on denial of equal protection of the laws. He was singled out and refused the opportunity for a legal education that the COVID-19 vaccination, oh, oh, forgive me, that the COVID-19 vaccinated were offered. Time will tell if this is enough standing. The battle has just begun, and the substantive arguments are soon to be had if the 12B6 that is sure to come is survived by Baudouin. I believe twelve B six is motion to dismiss. I highly recommend reading the whole uh, the whole filing, which is available at Via viaveravita.com slash covid nineteen dash fraud dash and dash vaccine dash lawsuit. Which you don't have to remember because I will provide that to you in the written version of this news update shortly. for listening to this weekly news update. I've had a lot of fun in this new format uh, last week and this week, as you may have seen, a Substack uh, version of this update was posted shortly after I aired last week's episode, and I'm going to do the same again this week. So that will mean you can read the script I prepared in advance of this video, complete with all of the references I used, which in this case was 16 different references, and um you will also be able to access you know additional visuals and things that i didn't put in this video that are in the article and that will be in the description of this video as i said before you can go to roundingtheearth.substack.com and look at the sponsors and partners page uh to find out the best way to support the show. If you're watching right now on Rumble, please leave a Rumble rant, which is a paid comment in the right-hand little box there. And if you're on YouTube, subscribe to us because once we hit 1,000 subscribers, we can see if YouTube will grant us the rank of partner. Now, we understand it's not a long-term platform, but while we're there, we want to benefit the community as much as possible. Last but not least, subscribe to Rounding the Earth, become a paid subscriber and get access to exclusive content reserved for paid subscribers. And more than anything, folks, thank you for engaging. Thank you to Jana, for or Jana, forgive me, for uh, for uh, sharing some comments in here and for moving over to Rumble to allow us to support a censorship free platform. All right. I have been Liam Sturgis. You can find me www.liamsurgis.com or at the Liam Sturgis on Twitter. And we will see you on Tuesday, this upcoming week for our round table discussion with Matthias Desmet on the topic of mass formation, which will be rather interesting. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you again. Have a wonderful day in your own journey rounding the earth.